Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Lessons from Dothan by Pastor Sean Wood. This morning, uh, I, I ask you that you would turn to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, I have a word that we're going to begin a series uh, on the life of Joseph. Uh, I've kind of put Romans on hold for the moment because, uh, excuse me, I've kind of put Romans on hold for the moment because um, we'll, we'll come back to that maybe when we're all back as a family in this room in the, in the near distant future. But I've put Romans on hold for a moment because I think God has something else that he'd like to say to us right now. Uh, um, I think there's a message that is to us, his people and to us, his church, that is important right now. Uh, if you've met me in uh, Genesis chapter 37, I, I, I'll just pray and then we'll begin. Father God, right now, as we, wherever we are and as we assemble, Lord God, wherever we find ourselves watching this message and joining in prayer right now, I, I just acknowledge, God, you're so much bigger than the circumstances that surround us. You're so much bigger than governments. You're so much bigger than viruses. Lord God, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that light is the person of Jesus Christ. We continue Keep our eyes focused on you, Lord Jesus. I pray right now that you would have a word in season for every one of us. That your word would rest in our hearts in fullness, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 37. Uh, it's interesting. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's used the phrase uh, in hindsight. <laughs> You know, many times I, I can remember conversations that I've said and I've gone, you know what, in hindsight, and what I mean by that and what we all mean by that when we use those words is we've reached a point where now looking back, we say, you know what, <laughs> in hindsight, if I knew then what I know now, I would have, I, I would have acted differently. Perhaps I would have said things differently. Perhaps I would have done things differently. Perhaps hindsight for us may have been, you know what, if, if I could look back uh, in hindsight, perhaps I would have used my time more wisely. We're in an opportunity maybe of that even right now. But the climate that we have right now, the climate that surrounds us right now, uh, let's lift the lid for a moment. We, we, are in, we are in astronomically uncertain times for a lot of people. We, right now, across the globe, people are losing jobs, economies are crashing, numbers of virus contamination are escalating across the globe. My heart is saddened for how many of our wonderfully vulnerable people have paid with their lives for this virus. We've heard the horror stories that are coming out of Spain and and Italy and now even the US and uh, God has been good to us at the moment here in Australia, but, but we are seeing numbers rising and, and we don't, none of us know where this will end. But I want to encourage everybody that's listening this morning because the truth is simply this. There will come a point, it could be six months, it could be nine months, I'm not sure, nobody here is sure, but there will come a point where we will be standing looking back at now and I wonder what we would say. Would we say, you know what, in hindsight, if I... <laughs> If I knew how long this thing was going to last, I'd have used my time better. In, in hindsight, if I'd have known that lockdown was going to be X amount of weeks, I, I, I'd have sought God even harder. And, and maybe hindsight looks like for us, you know, we look back and say, you know what, in hindsight, those things were never really important in the first place. 
I want to talk to you today about a man by the name of Joseph. And I bet you that if he had hindsight, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 50, if, 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 if Joseph had have had hindsight, he would have said, you know what, if in hindsight, if I'd have known back in chapter 37, back when I was 17 years of age, if I'd have known then what I know now, I would have been far more relaxed and far more certain. But that's the problem with hindsight. Hindsight is not something we get until it's after some time. And friends, the current circumstances that we find ourselves in are exposing us. We're asking questions that we aren't sure we were ever going to ask. Where's God in all of this? Is this from God? And what's going on in all of this? And And today I think we have some lessons to learn and I want to talk to you today about the life of Joseph and and in chapter 37 we'll get to a little place called Dothan and there are three enormous lessons we can learn from Dothan but we'll get there in a moment. But We we need to kind of set the scene. First we read uh, chapter 37 verse 1 it says, Jacob lived in the land of his fathers sojourning in the land of Canaan. Now we're introduced, of course, to Jacob. Jacob, we know, is the father of Joseph. Uh, We know that Jacob ends up having 12 sons, the 12 tribes of of Israel. Joseph is uh, one of those sons. Of course, Benjamin will be the youngest. But, But, you know, by the time we get to the end of Jacob's life, by the time we see him before Pharaoh... Uh, Jacob's testimony of his life was, would be, my years have been long and hard and I have suffered much. We'll, we'll get there before this all ends. We'll, we'll get to that chapter before we come to the conclusion of Joseph's life because that's one of the most important parts. But, but Jacob was, of course, the, the son of Isaac. He was the twin brother of Esau. He was the younger brother. We know that. We know he was a deceiver. Uh, he did have a life that was hard. He... he often brought on by his own doing. I mean, he, he deceives his father to obtain the blessing. He robs the blessing from his brother Esau. Esau wants to kill him, so he flees at his mother's uh, urging and he goes to his uncle Laban and, and his uncle rips him off because he says, you know, work seven years for this daughter and, and then I'll give you this daughter. But he ends up getting ripped off, ends up working 14 years to get the daughter that he wanted. And then when all of that's done, he begins to build up a family and, and start to amass some uh, possessions. And of course, God has appeared to him uh, on a few occasions. And we see that Jacob uh, uh, still uh, is uncertain because Esau, he's about to be met by Esau. And he knows that Esau is far more powerful than him. And he wonders whether Esau will overpower him and kill him. And Of course, if you've read the story of Jacob, you know that's not what happens. But that's the context that brings us to chapter 37. And as we go through the life of Joseph, although Joseph lived, I don't know, nearly 3,000 years ago now, although he lived some time ago, we can see that there are some enormously glorious and profound truths that apply to the life of Joseph that actually apply to every single one of us right now. Verse 2 says, 
These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. He's the, he's the younger, ruddy brother that's dobbing on his older brothers all the time. That's exactly how it's working. I would like for a moment, as we begin to have a look at the life of Joseph, I'd like for a moment just not to pass by the fact that he's 17 years of age. You see, by the time he occupies the prime ministership of Egypt, he he is second in charge in Egypt. Answerable only to Pharaoh. Everybody else answers to him. We'll get to all of that in a moment because... They're parts of his life we don't want to jump to too quickly. But the gap between 17 years of age and 30 years of age, there's an enormous amount of hardship that happens in Joseph's life. You see, Joseph, we, Joseph we know he, he has a coat of many colours. If we keep reading, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons and uh, here's, a, here's, here's a lesson for every father because there's no doubt, Scripture leaves us with no doubt, and there's no doubt as we read the account that, that Jacob loved Joseph. And there's no doubt, we're going we're gonna to find that out in a moment, because there's no doubt that Jacob lavished more favour upon Joseph. Let's keep reading. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colours. It's a, it, it's a, a robe of, or a tunic that's a multicoloured robe in, in the Hebrew patriarch uh, history and context of that robe. It's, it's a robe that, that goes all the way to your ankles. It's a robe that stretches all the way to the, to, the, to the ends of your wrists. It's not a robe that a working person wore. It was always a robe that signified prestige and, and position and favour. Jacob not only loves Joseph more than his brothers, he's outlandishly announcing it. And another thing was the one that wore this robe quite often was the one in line for the blessing, in line for the inheritance. The younger brother has jumped over all of his older brothers and is in line for the inheritance. He comes from an enormously, enormously uh, fantastic position of favour to be torn down from that in a moment as we're going to see. He's going to lose everything. Here's one very inconvenient truth that we need to fully grasp for every one of us. It applies to us right now. Here's the truth. The truth is that before God fills his church, he empties her. I want to ask you, how many of us have been praying for God to fill us? How many of us, how many of us want God to come down in power and to fill us? How many of us want, want God to just bless us with his presence. How much of us want the anointing of God? And if we're all honest, everybody listening this morning will put their hand up where they sit and say, that's what I want. I want want the residing presence of God because that's what the anointing is. Well, friends, I've got some uh, inconvenient truth for you today. Many of us have to traverse the same that Joseph did. That gap, 17 to 30 years, most of us have that as well. What What does Paul say in in the book of Acts, through, through much tribulation, we inherited the kingdom of God. Paul went about telling them that by, and through much tribulation, we inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth. 
I was sharing with a few people that I bumped into this week, I, I was sharing with them the truth that right now I take heart, right now I'm excited, right now I, 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 I'm looking at the enormous positives because the truth of the matter is for many, many years, but for the last three years, I've been praying that God would shake us up as a church. I'm praying that God would tear down our formulas. I've been asking that God would rip up our methods. I've been asking that God would reshape our programs. And maybe he's doing that right now. I don't know how unsettled you're feeling right now, but I know a lot of other pastors and I know myself, we're all feeling a little bit shaken up, but I can see the positives. I can see that what God's doing is, remember, remember Jesus in John chapter 15, he's talking about uh, the vine and the branches. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Everyone in him that bears fruit, everybody in Jesus that bears fruit, God does something that's enormously uncomfortable. He says, my father prunes them. I'm not sure about anybody else, but does anybody feel like they're being pruned right now? Well, well, Joseph is about to be pruned. And what hindsight will allow us to see and what hindsight allows Joseph to see is that right from chapter 37, God's looking at Egypt. God's looking at the prime ministership of Egypt. God told Abraham, I will take my people to Egypt. And now God's going to bring his word Pass. Let's, let's continue to have a look at the life of Joseph. Chapter 37, if we make our way down, it says now in, in chapter 5, it says now Joseph had a dream. <laughs> Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, let's read the first dream, very interesting. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Why? Let's have a listen. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. What's he saying? Come on, listen now. (laughs) Verse 8, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, now, Joseph has a dream. What's going on here? We need to understand something very important about the time of the patriarchs. Uh, back in the time of Joseph, back in the time of Abraham and, and even Moses and all of those patriarchs, uh, one enormous thing was true. For God to speak to people, he often spoke to people in dreams. Now, um, <clears throat> bear with me for a moment. What God is doing here to Joseph is God is conveying. Notice something in these verses. Notice that the the brothers don't wonder to themselves what this dream could mean. Uh, Notice that there's no deliberation between them. They knew exactly what the dream meant. They knew exactly what God was revealing. They knew exactly everything that that meant. It meant that Joseph was going to rise in prominence over his brothers. And and they questioned, what do you think? You think you're going to be over us? You think you're going to be above us? Who do you think you are? Joseph as a dream, God is revealed. Right now I know there's people listening that have got a dream. God's put a dream in your heart. God's revealed to you a dream. God's spoken to you about what the future might look like. Now, The funny thing about this dream also is 
right at the moment that Joseph has this dream, God knows all the detail in between. God knows the hardship he's about to face. God knows the journey that will take him to Egypt. God knows how long he will be in prison. God knows how much he will suffer. But God also knows that this is the picture. This, is the, this dream here is the moment that he is reunited with his brothers. And it's because of Joseph that they survive and they live. And Joseph is in this enormous place of promise. God already knows that. Joseph has got no idea. And if that's you today, if you're sitting anywhere today listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, God has placed a dream on my heart. You, you might be sitting here going, I don't know what's become of that dream because in a moment, that's exactly what Joseph is going to be thinking. We, we need to put ourselves in his shoes for a moment. You don't have all the detail, but God has all the detail. And uh, <clears throat> right now, God has given him a dream. He has a second dream, of course. I'll paraphrase the second dream for you. The second dream is that uh, uh, the sun and the moon all bow down. <laughs> sun, moon, 11 stars all bow down and worship. And when he tells his father, his father Jacob doesn't have any deliberation either. When he tells his father, his father's not trying to get the interpretation of the dream. His father knows straight away what the dream means and he rebukes him. You know the prophetic language in Joel and other places that speak about the, 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 the moon will be darkened and the sun will not give its light? Right now, the sun and moon refer to his mum and his dad, his, his father and his mother. And so, and so right here, we have the second dream. And uh, quite often, we can make some mistakes. Quite often, the dreams that God gives us can become an idol. And sometimes, uh, God becomes a means of fulfilling our dreams. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes, God is an actor in our life story. Uh, I think it was Shakespeare. This is going to become enormously prominent now as we, as we work our way into what's going on here and the rest of Joseph's life. This is going to become enormously prominent now. I think it was Shakespeare that said that life is a stage and we are all merely actors. Most of us would have heard that, right? And, and I actually somewhat agree with Shakespeare. I don't think he was a theologian. I'm not even sure he was a Christian, but I think that's very true. I appreciate the words of C.S. Lewis on this matter because C.S. Lewis... Uh, in a compilation of his writings, a guy writes a book by the name of Mere Theology, which is a compilation of all the theology of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis is confronted with the question about God's awesome sovereignty. This, this kind of butts up against some people and it butted up against me for some time. It's, it's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And how do they work together? Because, because one end of the scale is God's all sovereign and, and every wink of the eye God orchestrates. And if that's the case, then how could, how could any of us possibly be responsible in any way, shape or form? Then, of course, moving on, uh, there's man's responsibility. And if, it's, and if the scales tip too far this way, then it's all on man and, and God's playing catch up. And of course, it doesn't appear that either of those are actually true. And C.S. Lewis, I appreciate what he says. He says it's a bit more like this. It's, it's a bit more like we're all actors on the stage of life. 
God's not an actor in our story. We're not conducting God. We're not, we're not telling God how things have to be. And we need to begin to understand that. You see, God must move from being an actor in our life story to, be the, to being the one writing the script and revealing his glory. Because that's what he's doing in Joseph right now. C.S. Lewis says, you know what? He says, uh, the truth is we're all like actors on the stage and we're free to play our part. We're free to play our role. But as long as we understand and surrender to the fact that the one who writes the scripts and the one who's working backstage is God. We're going to begin to see that as we work our way through the life of Joseph. Joseph had a dream. God had spoken to Joseph and and of course, God speaks in many different ways now and far more directly to mankind. Speaks through his word, of course, but, but they didn't have the Bible then. And Muslims believe that the veil is still up and that God does not speak directly to men. Muslims believe that the veil is up and the only way that God speaks, it obviously is through prophets like Muhammad, but the only way that God speaks to individuals is through dreams. And uh, here's the glorious thing about the God. Here's uh, the glorious thing about this God that we serve is that nothing stops him. There's no boundaries around God. <laughs> There's, now to him is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than you could ask, think or imagine is the God that is causing Muslims across the globe who have never heard of Jesus, never heard of the gospel, uh, beginning to have dreams of Jesus. God is speaking to them. God's meeting them right where they're at. So we move along. We come to a place. What happens now is that Jacob sends Joseph out into the field to search for his brothers. He says, your brother's attending the sheep out near Shechem. Go find them, see what's become of them and, and see what's happening. And, and of course, uh, we pick the story up in verse 15. And a, and a man found him wandering in the fields. A man found Joseph wandering in the fields. And, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. Listen to the answer. Very important. The man said, they have gone away, for I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. I want to I introduce everybody who has not heard me speak about a little place called Dothan previously. I want to introduce you to a little insignificant place called Dothan. Uh, this happens a lot with God, by the way. What appears in the physical to be insignificant is supernaturally and spiritually profound. Dothan is a place where we see the profoundness of God. You see, Dothan is a little place that right now we are about to see, of course, as, as the story unfolds. We'll get there in a moment, but we're going to see a little Hebrew boy at the bottom of a pit. And from the bottom of the pit, undoubtedly, that little Hebrew boy is crying out to God to be rescued, crying out to God to, to rescue him. I, I would imagine right now that there would be some people that are crying out to God to rescue them. Well, let's fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6. And, and I've spoken on this scripture before. 2 Kings chapter 6 finds a prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha had the double portion of anointing, the residing of God's presence, the double portion of the anointing that Elijah had. 
And Elisha has a servant by the name of Gehazi. <laughs> Interesting little dude, by the way. And uh, Gehazi walks outside because the Syrian army knows that Elisha's given all the secrets away. <laughs> he walks outside and he sees this enormous Syrian army surrounding them. And he's like, big gulp. Change of underpants moment. And Gehazi's like, what is going on here, Elisha? What are we going to do? Elisha prays a prayer, first of all. He says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, uh, Gehazi's eyes are open and he sees surrounding them. Great, great, profound uh, truth that all of us need to grasp right now. So many of us right now, I bet you when we stand outside and have a look at the storm of circumstances, we're probably seeing a Syrian army of circumstances wondering what on earth is going to become of us. <laughs> then open their eyes, Lord, just like Elisha prayed. And Gehazi sees this enormous army with flaming servants. Read it, it's a profound scripture. But then Elisha prays as they advance towards them. Elisha prays a prayer In Dothan as well. This prayer is, Lord, strike them with blindness. God immediately and instantaneously answers Elisha's prayer. But I actually want to point to a very big truth that Dothan highlights. God answers the prayers of both Joseph and Elisha. One of them, he answers their prayers immediately. The other one, he answers the prayer of that little Hebrew boy. He does get rescued. He does end up being restored. A little place called Dothan. And this little place is about to teach us three very important lessons. And I think they're lessons that apply to each and every single one of us right now. Lesson number one. Let's keep reading on. They have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, now let's read what happens. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. I need to highlight here, this is not, this is not brothers joking with each other. This is, this is not brothers in just saying, oh, here he comes. Let's get this dude, you know. That's, let's get this ruddy little rat. That's, that's not what they're saying here. They conspired against him to kill him. This is premeditated hatred being vented right now. Why? Because they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Uh, out of jealousy and, and out of rage, they want to kill his brothers. And here's one thing, here's the first lesson that Dothan teaches us. Here's the, here's the first and most important lesson is this, God's word never fails. Why? Because these guys, if they had have had their way, they would have killed Joseph. If they had have had their way, he would have died right here, right now. No scheme of man, no work of the enemy in any way, shape or form will cause God's word to fail. It will always accomplish that for which he sent it. Isaiah tells us beautifully, Isaiah, I think it's 55, tells us that as I send the rain and the snow to the earth and it soaks in, and waters the ground. So my word will not return to me void. It will, it will soak in and will achieve that for which I have sent it. God's word never fails. What is God's word today? God's word is, we're going to learn more about this later. God's word is that he would never leave us. God's word is that he would never forsake us. God's word is that he would keep us. 
have a, th- have a think about what is precious and valuable to you at home right now. You often keep those things. You, you preserve them. You guard them. That's what the word keep means. God's word never fails. God's word is that you are saved. God's word is that uh, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. God's word is that all things work together for the good of those that love God. There's a clause. That love God and accord according to his purpose. It should be everybody listening to this this morning. I can get used to somewhat, uh, I can get used to empty churches maybe because less people fall asleep. Praise God. God's word never fails. I think Reuben's asleep right now. What's lesson number two? Let's keep, let's keep reading on. Lesson number two. Uh, but, verse 21, but you know the Bible's full of buts. The Bible's full of but gods. <laughs> and every single one of us right now, we all need a but God in our lives. Do we not? Right now, let's put our hands up and say, God, we need a but God. We, we need you to, we could walk outside of these doors right now and we could, with fear and anxiety, we could see food flying off the shelves at the local supermarket. We could see the we could see the fear and the anxiety, the uncertainty in the economy, the, the stock market crashing, the, the numbers rising. We need a but God. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Lesson number two is God uses pits. Mm. Now we're getting uncomfortable, Pastor. Now, in the example of what Joseph finds himself in right now, pits occur naturally, but God uses them. You see, the pit here for Joseph The pit was waterless and empty, it says. And that little Hebrew boy at the bottom of the at the bottom of this pit finds himself out of control. That's what pits mean. Pits equal anybody else feel like they're out of control? Anybody else here feel like they've got this COVID nineteen thing under control? Anybody else here think the economy's under control? Anybody else here think that the global climate at the moment is under control? Let me tell you, it is vastly out of control. Joseph is at the bottom of the pit. He's out of control. (laughs) He's he's far away from everybody. He's on his own. He's overwhelmed. Anybody feeling overwhelmed at the moment? But but here's the truth of this pit right now. Very inconvenient truth. God may not have caused that pit, but and God didn't pick him up by the scruff of the throat and chuck him in that pit, but Joseph is exactly where God wants him right now. And I want us to pause for a moment before we get to the third lesson we learned from Dothan. I want us to pause for a moment and just put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Imagine what's going through his mind. God, what's going on with those dreams? God, what are you, what are you saying? God, 
What is going on? I'm here at the bottom of the pit. I think my brothers are going to kill me. I see no way out. I can't get out of the pit. I can't run away. I can't get... Lord God, I'm completely out of control. And that's exactly where God wants him. Out of control. That's exactly where God wants every single one of us. Out of control. And God is moving and positioning every single one of us into a pit where we find ourselves out of control. Doesn't mean God's stealing the dream. Doesn't mean his word has failed. Doesn't mean that you're going to perish at the bottom of that pit. Doesn't mean that it's going to overwhelm you. No, friends, no, no. But it could just mean that you're right where God wants you. Could just mean that right now in isolation is right where God wants us. If we, if we end up in full lockdown, I don't even know what that looks like. But if we end up in full lockdown, we could just be right where God wants us. He could just want us in a place where everything else is stripped away and we get back to what is important. When you look back in hindsight, what are you going to say? Lesson number three. And this is the most important lesson that we need to learn right now. Dothan teaches us three things. Of course, the first one is that God's word never fails. The second one is that God uses pits. And the third one is that God is in control. (laughs) It doesn't look like it, does it? Hang on, you gave Joseph a dream. This doesn't look like anything like that dream, but God is amazingly in control. God is in control of everything that's happening. Joseph should be dead, but he's at the bottom of the pit. And when his brothers have got no other options, we can't go back. We can't pretend this was a joke now. He's going to tell dad everything. (laughs) When there's no other options, have a listen to what happens here. Throw him into the pit, shed no blood. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. This is the first of very many moments in Joseph's life where it just so happened. We are going to say many times through the life of Joseph, we, we could be tempted to use the words, it just so happens. <laughs> it just so happens that when Joseph was at the bottom of a pit and his brothers had no other way out, that a caravan of Ishmaelite Midianite traders turn up. <laughs> just so happens. Looking back at my life, and I, I, I'd ask everybody, wherever you find yourself this morning, that you would just pause for a moment and begin to look back over your life. Because I have had in my life, my testimony is, I have had an enormous amount of it just so happens moments. But here's one thing hindsight's taught me. There's no such thing as a just so happened moments. They're all God moments. Joseph is experiencing a God moment right now. And friends, I want everybody to know, and Dothan highlights this, the life of Joseph highlights this, if there's one lesson that we draw out of this today, God is still in control. God has not lost control. No virus is bigger than God. No economy it can fall lower than God. No pit is too deep. It seems to be a bit of a trend here. We find a, we find a ruddy little Hebrew boy at the bottom of a pit. 
Later on, we'll find a profound prophet by the name of Jeremiah at the bottom of the miry pit. Friends, God is still in control. Reading on, coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our own flesh. It just so happens. <laughs> and the brothers listened to him, it just so happens. And the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. We're going to pick Joseph's story up next week from Egypt. Friends, as we bring this to a conclusion this morning, there's some enormous lessons that we mustn't forget. God's word never fails. God uses pits in our lives and God is still in control. And I strongly believe that God is using the current circumstances right now to refine his church, to purify his church, to prune his church, and to empty his church that he may fill her. Sometimes inconvenient circumstances is what it takes. Sometimes God uses the pits that we find ourselves in. And although Joseph had a dream, although Joseph was sucked into what appears to be a vortex of out of control circumstances, Joseph, however, right now is exactly where God wants him. I want to read you a quote from C.H. Spurgeon that revolutionised my life when it came to the sovereignty of God. Because when we look at the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility, we must, in answering the question, we must always never lose sight of a big word called purpose. Let's read. Spurgeon says, If a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded, says Spurgeon. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker because why, says Spurgeon, because I know his purpose is good and necessary. What's Spurgeon saying? Spurgeon's saying, if I'm walking down the street and some big ugly dude's got a knife and he wants to attack me, I'm going to resist him with all of my strength and it would, be, it would be a crime and a tragedy if he succeeded. Spurgeon goes on and says, but hang on a moment. In exactly the same set of circumstances, if a surgeon is before me with a knife or a scalpel, how it is that we lay on the table and surrender? Friends, the surgeon comes to cut away what it is that is unnecessary in our lives. The, the surgeon comes to cut away what it is that is often killing us and eating away at us. Spurgeon says, we open ourselves and we surrender ourselves to the surgeon for one reason, the purpose is different. 
Friends, this morning as, we, as I conclude, I would, I would trust and pray that wherever you find yourself this morning, you're, you're moving into a time of communion. And in a moment, the recording will end, but I pray that you would sit silently and just reflect on all of those it-just-so-happened moments in your life. Maybe even reflect on the dreams that God has placed in your heart and realise this, God never forgets them. God doesn't let them go. God's word never fails. And I want to encourage everybody in this room right now, as we work our way through the life of Joseph, uh, right now, I encourage you, don't resist the surgeon. Because it's not a tragedy if we open ourselves up to him at this time to cut away those things in our lives. Friends, I would encourage you to lay on the surgeon's table and let him do the work that only the master surgeon can do. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray for everyone. And Lord God, they may not be sitting physically in this room, but I know, Lord God, that they're listening. And right now, wherever they are, you're there. Touch them, Lord God, I pray. Bless them, Lord God, I pray. Get out your scalpel, Lord, at this time we pray. It's uncomfortable. It's uncertain. It requires that we trust you, just like we would a surgeon. I pray every person listening would place all of their trust in you and that you would do your surgery on our hearts at this time. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you guys, wherever you are. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.